Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the inclusion of the birth story of your Son, Jesus Christ, within your word and within your revelation, so we might know you on an even deeper level, knowing that you were that you came into the world just like us. And Father God, as we reflect upon these things, let us also remember that there's more to this story than what our minds can even comprehend. So Lord, I pray as we open up your word this morning, and as I deliver this message, that Lord, that you would impart those deeper spiritual truths on our hearts and help us, Lord, to reflect upon those things and to grow nearer to you as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> So it's Christmas Eve, and it's a time where people are out and about, uh, homes are decorated, and the air is filled with the scent of seasonal candies and Christmas carols, sound of Christmas carols, not the smells, that'd be very weird if Christmas carols had a particular smell. But I, for one, am an advocate of all of the holiday traditions around Christmas time that we celebrate at this time of the year regardless of how extravagant or silly or whatever they might be. Yet, as Christians, we are always to have our eyes fixed upon Jesus. Despite that, I think that for some people, even though they might not grasp that truth, they might not grasp that reality, just getting a taste of it through the joy that we display through our Christmas spirit might be just what they need, that seed that they need planted to draw nearer to Christ and to one day be able to experience the same joy and faith that we have here in our church. <clears throat> we, being believers in Jesus Christ, we do focus our eyes on our Savior because we acknowledge that something happened 2,000 years ago that is worthy of our reflection even to this day. We look at the portraits of babies and nativity scenes which help us to see the physical reality according to our mortal understanding. Some, someone important was born back then, and the world has found this person worthy enough that we celebrate his birth even to this day. Well, that's great. That might make a wonderful pendant or a wonderful painting or maybe even a wonderful tattoo for that matter. And I don't know about you, when I think about the idea of a nativity scene as a tattoo, I, that kind of boggles my mind in itself. Does anybody have a nativity scene tattoo? I don't know. That, that would have some, uh, some uh, uh, implications for me even. I'd be like, oh, how do I wrap my head around this exactly? Uh, maybe somebody does. I don't know. Um, but to understand what was really taking place all that time ago, from the time of Jesus' conception onward, we must allow God to reveal the truth of Jesus' birth to us through his word. And this deeper spiritual reality can be found in John's Gospel, chapter 1. So if you'd like to follow along with me, John chapter 1 is where I'm going. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. So John chapter 1. 1 through 5. I'll give you a moment to turn there if you want to follow along with me. If not, that's okay. John 1, 1 through 5. <clears throat> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, 
Nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I'm going to jump ahead to verses 9 through 14. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. Now let's pause for a moment so we can focus in on the next verse, that being John 1, 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, leading up to verse 14, the Apostle John kind of reminds me of myself when I'm trying to explain like a difficult or, or, or just complicated subject to somebody uh, regarding an incredible event or something else where I go into all these words and all these descriptors to try to convey to somebody how incredible it is. Now, if you're anything like me, you probably have tried this yourself, all to no avail to where the person is just sitting there at the end and can you just get to the point? <laughs> John did not struggle with that. He lays out the case beautifully uh, in verses 1 through 14, explaining the significance of the Word becoming flesh and the implications, the ramifications uh, for us regarding this God who became flesh. I'd encourage you to read John chapter 1 in its entirety and reflect upon its words because what he described was something more amazing than you or I could possibly fathom. I want you to also pause and think about some of the other things that maybe you have a hard time grasping. I want to mention a couple of those things and maybe we'll be like, man, Bill, you need to get with the times, get with technology, and get with all this stuff because I get those things. I don't get these things, quite frankly. And the first one I always tend to think of is television. The idea of taking moving images and transmitting those to a satellite, that it transmits it to a box or a screen or whatever so that we can see things happening and just about real time or recordings of things that happened in the past and transmitting that to a, to a screen so that we can watch it and enjoy it and be able to experience things that happen all the way around the world. To me, that is absolutely amazing and mind-blowing. What about the practice of using a series of tiny little explosions to propel cars and jets and other vehicles over land and through space? That is also mind-boggling. Who came up with the idea for this? What groundwork laid a foundation to be able to do something so incredible? What about the very system of life itself? The fact that all organic life is able to procreate and become self-sustaining beings. All organic life is able to conceive, develop, be birthed in one manner or another to grow, 
develop unique rituals and cultures, populate the world, and even become diverse from their ancestors, peers, and descendants. When you consider this process and how it has all gone on for a very long time, it is hard for you to wrap your head around it. If it's not for you, it's hard for me. But can you wrap your head around, uh, but, but we can wrap our heads around it. It's just so much bigger than you and I that it is just difficult to grasp that there was life happening before we were born. <coughs> the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You want to ponder something that you will never get your head around. God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three are one, co-equal, and co-eternal. Yet the Father found it pleasing to send the Son into the world to become flesh and to live amongst the little image bearers that he created at the beginning of time. Of course, if you're not catching on who those image bearers are, they're you and I, people. We are the image bearers of God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all active in the creation of man. And here we are, remembering how God, the Son, creator of the universe, became a human being like you and myself. I often consider a very strange topic, at least in my mind it is, a uh, very bizarre truth, and that is your consciousness. You get what I'm saying? The fact that you all out there are conscious, that is so strange to me. Because I know that I'm conscious, I'm experiencing things, I'm seeing things. When I walk out of here today, my eyes will inform my brain of the pathway that I am taking out of here. I will see each one of your faces as I go. I will get into my vehicle and I will see the faces of my wife and my kids as we get into our vehicle and drive off. I will see each one of you, but what blows my mind is that each one of you will see me. And each one of you will make your way out of here today and see the faces of one another. And you will perceive each person a certain sort of way. You don't know their thoughts or feelings or anything about what is going through their head. But you know that an awful lot is going on inside of their heads. At least I hope a lot is going on inside of their heads. Otherwise, we might have to have a little talk. <laughs> but we know that a lot is going on inside of here and that each one of us are experiencing these things simultaneously. I mean, does that not make you think and wonder, oh my goodness, that is actually, maybe it's not a profound thought. Again, maybe it's my simplicity. But to me, that is absolutely amazing that we are all experiencing life from different perspectives. We're looking through these things we call eyes, or maybe if somebody's blind, they're hearing, they're having auditory experiences, or at least sensory experiences of some sort. It's just incredible that we are so individually created and that God has given us all the capacity to live experiences. Did you know that God 
through the incarnation, through the Son becoming flesh, saw through eyes and heard through ears and had bunches of things going through his head. It's true. What did he think? What did he feel? How could one who stepped down from eternity, from glory, the riches of this heavenly realm, stand to be in such a confined and humbled state? Furthermore, he didn't just materialize into existence one day. He didn't arrive as a fully formed and capable adult. He came into the world as a baby. Now think about this. Because God could have just brought him into existence, lickety-split, fully mature. Because when God created Adam, the first man, he created him as a mature creation. Adam was created to work. Adam was equipped to face the challenges that would come into the world through the entrance of sin. He was strong, rational, incompetent. The Word became flesh. Little Jesus, God in the flesh, when he was delivered into the world through Mary, still had to develop the proper synapses to be able to crawl, to stand, to walk, and to even hold something in his hand. Those of you who are or were parents, you remember those days when the baby's trying to grab something and they just don't have the coordination, the motor skills, Jesus had to go through that as a baby. The God-man in the flesh had to go through that, had to go through those similar experiences that each one of us had to go through a long time ago. It blows your mind. God in the flesh, experiencing life as a human. How could the immortal, almighty God stand to be confined to such a lowly estate? Throughout this Advent series, we have peered into the lives of Abraham, Moses, David, Hezekiah, and Josiah. They were just like you and I, with many flaws, but they accomplished great things. Within these great achievements, they pointed to a greater future reality that would be ushered in through a child of promise. For a moment, think about all the people I listed and consider how our lives would be different had they been perfect, had they not been like you and me. Had David, Hezekiah, Josiah, Moses, have all of them, if they were not like you and me, if they were these special people that somehow, by their own power, in a sin-cursed world, could live perfect lives in perfection without any sort of sin inside of their lives. They would be spiritually superior to each one of us. And in fact, we would be totally irrelevant in the grand scheme of salvation. Because had they lived perfect lives, 
What does that mean for us? That means that you can achieve it. That means that you can do it on your own. And these people and their power, thank God, did not achieve such a great feat. In fact, I say thank God for that, and yet they are cursed by the same curse of sin that you and I live with each and every day. But then we have this child of promise, this one who is foretold by the prophets, and yet so much better than all of us. Hebrews 4.15 reveals, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. When we consider every great person of history, every great person of history, we see that each one had his or her fatal flaws. It's very kind of disappointing, don't you think? With all the great men and women throughout history, we look at how great their lives were, and then we get to these little marks, these scarlet little marks in their lives where they made these incredible errors. And we say, ah, that's who I look up to? It's sad. Once again, when we examine the lives of Abraham, Moses, David, Hezekiah, and Josiah, we saw how each was incredible and outstanding among humans, but despite their exceptionalism, their good deeds were polluted with terrible sins that made it impossible for them to be able to save us. And to save us from what? Once again, to save us from our own sins. If we're to look at it this way, we're kind of like prisoners of our sin, before knowing Christ, that is. And they were like prisoners of their sin. And when you think about it in terms of being prisoners, had, had they been our salvation, it would have been like somebody in a prison cell next to our prison cell saying, hey, I've got the answers. Hey, I've got salvation. Just come over into my prison cell. I don't like that option. That's terrible. In fact, I'd almost rather be in my own prison cell than have to share a prison cell with somebody else. And yet here comes Jesus, who came to set the captives free. In every way, Jesus was like us, even being tempted by sin. Can you believe that? That Jesus faced temptations, but he didn't sin. In fact, I had a professor that put it in very profound terms. He was talking about the temptation of Jesus Christ inside of the wilderness. You remember when Satan is tempting Jesus? And he said, had Satan succeeded right there, the veil of reality would have collapsed upon itself. Everything would have ceased to exist had Jesus failed and given in to the temptations of the devil. Again, this is totally hypothetical, because again, Jesus is like us, but he is totally not like us, because he is God in the flesh. He never sinned. And it was so that he might save us from our sins. So instead of having another prisoner come alongside and say, hey, come on over to my cell, he came over with the keys and said, I came to set you free. And yet, how is God able to endure the plight of humanity 
immortality. And this was how. When the Word became flesh, it was in fulfillment of what? A long-standing promise. That He, God, He Himself, would save us from our sins and bring us reconciliation. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then he comes, uh, then, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he, was destroyed, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 through 26. So we talk about Christmas. We talk about the birth of this child. And yet this child would one day face death. He'd grow He'd suffer. He'd endure through all these things because of this great promise that God made to his people that he would save them of their sins. And the only way he could do that was sending his son into the world as a sacrifice to die. But that's not the end. But I know that a lot of people during this time of the year can be experiencing a lot of sadness. Losing loved ones is never pleasant. And there's never a good time for such a thing to happen. And it seems as though Christmas, being one of the most joyous times of the year, is made all the more sad through death and loss. But when you look upon that baby, don't think upon death and loss. Think upon life and victory. For how many of us have lost loved ones that we can say with full confidence, he or she is now with the Lord. We can say, the one I love now lives forever. That baby represents far more than happiness, fun, and good times. He represents love, hope, the reconciliation of mankind with God. Joy and promise. Jesus was the child of promise. There remains the man of promise. More importantly, he is the God who fulfills his promises. And today he sits at the right hand of God. No longer in a manger, but on a throne. 
And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. With those words, I'd like to conclude this message. Wish you all a Merry Christmas. <laughs>